I had the unique privilege and opportunity to attend a birthday party for a friend of mine who turned 30 fairly recently. Uh, you can raise your hand if you've been to 30. That's fine. Um, and maybe you had the same experience. Not many people in here were excited to raise their hand, right? 30 can be this weird and intimidating age. It's like you're not in your 20s anymore. The next milestone is death or something. I don't know. It, it can just be a hard age for some people. But it was not a hard milestone for this friend. She decided, rather than letting it be something that gets to her, that like she's now in the big 3-0, she's like, I'm going to throw a 13 going on 30 party, where I'm going to invite all my friends to come and dress like they dressed when they were 13 years old. And we're going to do things that were popular when I was 13. And so in the year 2003, there were some interesting things that were going on. To give you a framework of that, here's a picture of me from around that era. Uh, this may be a little bit uh, earlier, but as you can see, American Eagle... Uh, was popular. The band P.O.D. and the song Youth of the Nation was probably playing on my headphones. Uh, the original Pokemon TV show was the rage and I was not allowed to watch it. And all that was kind of the jam when I was 13. Do you guys remember 2003, which is not the same year? I know I will be fact-checked on this. That's not the year I turned 13. That's the year my friend turned 13. Do you guys remember back in 2003? Do you remember what was going on? Let me Let me refresh you here. That's the year that Arnold Schwarzenegger was elected the governor of California. That's when the do not call list was instituted that stopped telemarketing calls forever. Totally, totally worked. A severe weather outbreak took place that spawned more tornadoes than any week in U.S. history at 393 in 19 different states, which it feels like weather is way crazier now, so that doesn't feel as exciting, but like, well, it is what it is. Uh, it's, it's the year that Saddam Hussein was captured and when the United States began planes for the invasion of Iraq due to an, an eminent threat from weapons of mass destruction. It's when the Human Genome Project specialists from around the world successfully decoded 99% or sequenced 99% of the human genome. You know, sometimes when I go through lists like that from 20 years ago, it feels like everything has changed and yet like nothing has changed at the same time. The thing is, as we age... There's a lot that changes. There's a lot that's new. I mean, back when I was uh, in 2003, I was texting in my pocket in school, right? I had to keep my phone hidden, and I'd use T9 to memorize how I could text my friends and where the send button was. Nowadays, kids in my youth group are, like, taking pictures from class with their iPhone. Like, it's the same, but somehow it's, it's totally different. And when I think about church, I kind of do the same thing, right? I go back 20 years and think about my time as a teenager in my church. And I remember the rules in my house. You know, you had to wear pants. You had to wear a collared shirt to church. I remember sermons happening. I could not tell you what any of them were about. Sorry. I remember music being really important. Like, everybody really thought the music was a big deal, and I didn't like it at all. But I loved when I got to be in the band for a youth Sunday or a special event where I was invited to participate. I remember nothing from the year 2003, especially nothing specific to church. But I remember moments like my baptism that was a few years later. When I think about like the way the world has changed over the last 20 years, when I think about 13-year-old Dan, I think about Dan today at 35, and I think about Dan in the future at 65 or God willing, 88, I'm left to ask the question, what is it that God wants to do through all those years? What is it that is constant for God to accomplish in the church 
for every age bracket. What is it that he is trying to do? See, we're in this series called Juntos, talking about how we're better together, inviting us to consider what it might look like for us to launch this third service that is bilingual and intergenerational and missional and happens in concert with what we're already doing. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to explore that intergenerational piece in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in Deuteronomy 6, we're going to see, in part, how this idea of intergenerationality fits into not just what we're doing at ECC in this Juntos service, but what we're doing at ECC overall and what God's plan for the kingdom really is. See, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is when the Israelites have just come to the edge of the promised land. God has given them victory over the enemies on one side of the Jordan River, and now they're about to enter the other side where the majority of the land they're to take is located. And before they do so, before they journey from one side of the river to the other, these are the words that Moses says to them. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules, that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I give you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. As I said, Moses gives these words on the foot of the promised land, right before they're about to enter into the land that God has promised them. And he reminds his people through Moses, that in order to experience the good things that God has for them, they have to know the good things that God has commanded them. In order to experience the good things that God has in front of them, they have to know the good things that God has commanded them. And that's the first thing I want you to write down. If we want to know the good stuff, then we got to experience the good stuff. We got to know the good stuff to experience the good stuff. You know, everybody wants to be good at things, right? Everyone wants to be successful at the stuff they do, but especially like those things that are really fun and really engaging. And yet people quit all the time on their pathway to get there. It's what the nation of Israel did actually the first time they came to the edge of the promised land. If you've read the story, if you know the history, you know they got to this same point and they took a little peek into the promised land and they saw giants. And they were like, nope, too big, not gonna do it. This is too hard, can't get to the good stuff. We give up, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness. But it's not just the nation of Israel, right? It's us with everything from golf to guitar, from culinary to coloring. It's super fun when you're good at it, and it's not so fun when you're not, right? I mean, guitar, everybody loves when you can just hear a song and, like, play along to it, when you can get those sweet, sweet tones to flow out of your guitar. And if you ever heard someone who doesn't know how try, it's painful, And they often do not try again. (laughs) Or golf. I will never experience the feeling of being subpar. (laughs) But when you can do it, it's amazing. I know, it was a good joke, wasn't it? (laughs) Or like maybe for for the culinary, you know, it's that sourdough that takes an eon to perfect the recipe to with a good 
seared steak or mushroom cap if you're a vegetarian. I don't know. I'm just trying to, you know, lay it out there for you. <laughs> the fact is, to get to that point, you kind of have to go by trial and error, but you're never going to get there on your own. You're never going to really learn how to be a master without the help of someone who has gone there before you, unless you're lucky or super blessed. For most of us, we need someone who's gone there before to show us the way, the fundamentals, and to build us up to that place where you can play that guitar, you can hit that beautiful driver where you know the secret of getting the dough to rise. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. It's about passing this legacy of being God's people, the legacy of what God has done, and the good gift of boundaries and commands God has given on to the next generation. But it's not just about the next generation. It's about this idea of all of us being in this together. If you look further down in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the next words that come in verses 4 and 5 are what Jesus references when he talks about the greatest commandment. And out of those words, out of the text of the greatest commandment, those in attendance are reminded that these things, that these words, that the commands of the Lord are to be on their hearts and given to the young people around them, that these should be things that are taught and experienced all the time. Look at these words with me here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You'll teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the fr- as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The language here is that everywhere you go, whether it's into your house or walking on the road, whether someone is with you at church or they're just hanging out with you at home, they are always exposed to these commands of the Lord. When I was in Israel, before I was married, I bought this ring that had the Shema on it, which is Shema Israel, Adonai Rechim, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it was a reminder for me of these things, but I would spin it constantly. And everyone would be like, what's on your ring? And it was an opportunity for me to share these things wherever I went, with the people around me. And these commands that God gives, whether it's bound on your hand or on your forehead, really weren't just about putting them on your body, but it's about sharing these with the people around you. At the beginning, we heard Moses say, these are for you and for your sons and for their sons. There was an intergenerationality that was supposed to happen where the commands of God are being shared within every generation to accomplish what God wants to accomplish through his people. And the point of all of this is it's not just about what we do. It's about what God has done. If you continue reading in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you're reminded of how God has built this kingdom. We're reminded that <laughs> there are things that we are quick to forget about what God has done. That without one another, without God's commands, we can get off track. You know, in verse 16 of Deuteronomy 6, We're told not to test the Lord our God as the people of Israel did in the wilderness. If you spend any time with kids, you know where I'm going. You know that some of their favorite questions are why questions. I was literally watching a Peppa Pig episode with my kids, and Peppa, the young girl pig, 
gets frustrated with Georgie, her little pig brother, because he keeps asking why. She's like, why do you ask why to everything? And he's like, why? <laughs> and why is actually a really good question. It's a thing we should be asking to better understand the commands that God has given us. But why unbounded? Why without the context of community? Why without the generation that has experienced and followed God is dangerous? When those why questions are turned like daggers back toward God, when the testing isn't questioning to understand, but it is pushing the limits of what God has said, that's when we can get into trouble. And that's the kind of thing that living together, that doing community together, that being an intergenerational community can help to temper. If we can create a safe place for those kinds of why questions, then we can guide the next generation toward the whys of the commands of God. And maybe we can even learn something about those commands as well. When there's a safe space to ask questions and learn, that's when we can live out the love of God to which we're commanded, or to which we're called. You know, one of the most common things I hear when I work with parents and teenagers goes around parents trying to set up safe boundaries for their kids. Don't do this. Why? Because I love you and it's best for you. That's the parents. And the teenagers are saying, cool, let me find out for myself. I have to do it and see what it's like. I don't just want to take your word for it. And there's this huge tension here because the parents are like, I've seen or I've done this and I know the results and I want to save you from that. And the teenagers are like, you can say it, but like, I can't internalize it until I've tried it. Like, let me just figure it out. And the beauty of this together is that we can create a space where there are boundaries around this, where if students push, if younger people push on the boundaries of faith or of practice, there's a context where they can be brought back into line where we can say why and show why at the same time, where it's not just an empty do as I say and not as I do, but it's do as your people do as you see the way that this life lived out works. Any of this questioning done in isolation can be dangerous. But when we have each other to back one another up and to work together to create these safe spaces, that's when we can truly build on the foundational principles like what God gives his people here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know, Deuteronomy 6 continues by reminding the people of Israel of how they got to this moment. It talks about how God took a man in Abraham and called him away from everything he'd ever known and how it led to a people, his descendants being in Egypt. And enslaved and how God freed them from that. And then it talks about the ways Israel screwed up in the wilderness. And they're like, don't be like that. This is a chance for us to do better now that God is bringing us into the promised land because of what God has done. Deuteronomy 6 reminds the people of Israel that God promised good things and God gave these commandments and statutes. This idea that they are to love and fear and serve God, it's all for their own good and for the building of his kingdom. There are good things in line for us if we follow God's way together. And together is important because the way of God has to be passed down from generation to generation, from those who have been in the faith before us to those who are new in the faith and on to the next. Because the fact is, whether it's the way of Jesus or it's how to cook a steak, well, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And the best way to find out what you don't know is in a safe place with safe people. And you might be asking, great, Dan, 
well, what does this have to do with juntos? What does this have to do with that third service? Well, at Emmanuel, we're trying to build the kingdom of God. And while we're not on the borders of entering Israel, of taking God's promised land as God's kingdom of Israel for the first time as a nation, in many ways, we are about to break new ground. We are about to press into a promised land that God has for us as a new community. In many ways, we're about to enter into a new kingdom that God is building where his church looks a little bit more like the scene in Revelation 7, where every tribe and every nation and every people is represented together. With what we're trying to do with this service, it's take a step toward that. It's to say, how do we create a safe place for people who wouldn't be safe in the kind of service that we offer right now? Because the kingdom of God is a place where there is no, no distinction between tribe or language or ethnicity or male or female. Everything is equal under the status when it comes to God's kingdom. And so in many ways, we are on the border of something beautiful. We need to learn from Jesus, from the nation of Israel, their successes and failures on how to enter into this promised land, how to take this next step of faith that God is calling us to, how to do it well. So we're, we're going to be inviting a different culture into our church community. We're going to have to grow in many ways like the people in Deuteronomy 6 had to grow once they entered the promised land. This is kingdom ground that we're breaking. And it's kind of the same kind of ground that we break when we do a dedication, like what we did earlier in this service. Now, we don't do a dedication in the middle of a service or especially like at Studio Church because it easily fits into our programming. We don't do it because it's super simple to, with all these cameras around trying to create an orderly structure, bring two children up here and have them stand and get in position. We don't do it because it's easy. And we don't just do it because they're cute, although they are, and it's beautiful. No, that's just a side effect. We do it because this is this opportunity to bring the whole family of God, to bring every age represented up here together, right? We've got these children who for the first time publicly are being offered back to God as a gift. We've got these parents who, as every parent is, is a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit excited and ready to join with their church community to raise these kids. And then we have the church gathering around that has every age represented that are saying, hey, we are in this with you to together try to build this thing that you're leading us toward. It's Deuteronomy 6 put into practice as we try to figure out how do we love the Lord together, all of us in every age group. It's the thing, at least part of it, that I referenced at the beginning, one of those things I know that God has for every age. I love that whatever age you are, as we say, if, if you can commit to this, say we will with God's help. Every person, young and old, can say that while sitting, listening, and participating in that dedication. And so in that same way, we want to enter into this Juntos service together. We want to build the kind of community that looks like this and does this, not just for us, but for everyone. And as I was thinking about, like, what does this look like in the life of Jesus? What does this look like in the, in the ministry of Jesus? John chapter 6 came to mind for me. And it's this moment in John chapter 6. You probably know the story, but Jesus is ministering. He had just healed some sick, and he's performing miracles, and a crowd begins to form around him. 
And Jesus sees the crowd with men and women, with young and old, and he turns to one of his disciples, poor Philip. And he says to Philip, Philip, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? And Philip asks a really good question. The book of John tells us that Jesus asked this to test Philip because he already knew what he was going to do. Man, I feel for Philip in this case because he asks a really valid question. He says, Lord, it would take like a half a year's wages for every person here to have a bite. Like, where are we going to buy that much bread? Philip's question actually reminds me of the words of the nation of Israel the first time they set out from Egypt. As they were heading toward this promised land, they come to this moment where they're hungry. And they say, Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. Because at least in Egypt, our bellies were full. We may have been slaves, but we had enough to eat. We've come out into this wilderness toward this promised land to start. They're asking, where are we going to find bread on the way to the promised land? Well, you may know exactly how this goes, but next up we have another of the disciples. He kind of asks the next question. He's not saying, like, where are we going to find food? He's like, well, um, there's a boy here with five barley loaves and two small fish, but how much will that go among so many? How far will they go with so many people? He kind of asks the question, well, we have something, but It's not enough to do what God's calling us to do. Does that resonate at all with what we're trying to do with this service? Either of these questions. Maybe you know how it ends, but Jesus has the people sit down. He takes this boy's supper and somehow feeds these thousands of people with more left over to spare. Jesus created a moment reminiscent of the manna in the wilderness, right? But what stands out to me in this story is not just Jesus providing on the heels of the kingdom of God moving forward. It's the fact that all ages are represented in this story. That we have Jesus in his 30s leading a group of disciples who are probably younger than him, some maybe even teenagers. And then there's this small boy. But the one who steps out in faith is the child. We don't know anything about him. Probably his parents are the ones who sent him with this meal. It's enough to feed one small boy. A really hungry small boy. Right? Actually an average young boy. <laughs> but he has the courage. I don't think like the disciples went out and like, who's got food? Get over here. And he's like, for some reason, he has the faith to come forward with his food. And it's through this child that Jesus actually does the miracle. It's just this small boy who feels safe enough in the middle of a huge crowd close by to Jesus to say, I have this. It leaves me wondering what God would have us do to create a a space that's safe enough for people to do stuff like that. A space that is safe enough for every generation to ask questions like, where are you going to get the money to do this? How are we possibly going to go that far? Or... I have this, but I'm not sure what good it'll do. The question we need to ask is, what would God have us do to create a space that is safe enough for everyone? I want to make a 
a space where people feel safe enough to ask questions like this about God and the commands he's given and about where we're going to go as a church. When I think about this story and the words of Deuteronomy 6 and the vision in Revelation 7 of every person and people represented, I think there's a glimpse of what God wants to do. I think we get to see God building a community where together, where juntos, everyone is safe enough to take the next step in their faith. A community where everyone is included and has their place. Not a place that is bland and tasteless, but a place that is real and vibrant and is life. You know, one of the reasons that we want to build this kind of community with this service a service that is bilingual and intergenerational and Bible-centered, why we think that's the way to go with this third service is because we value the need for people to be able to worship in their heart language, in the language that resonates with them. And you might say, Dan, why don't we just do this in Spanish? Why don't we just help a Spanish service happen? Well, the issue is that it needs to be intergenerational. In many of these families, the parents or the first generation speaks mostly Spanish. That's their heart language. But for the kids and for the friends of their kids, a Spanish service is not the safest place. And so if we made a Spanish service, that would be safe for one generation, but not the same kind of safe for another. And at ECC, in reading passages like Deuteronomy 6 and John 6 and Revelation 7, we don't think that's good enough. We want to create a place where just like we do for our kids right now in our English services, where every age and every person is represented and can say not just that's the church I grew up in, but that's my church. That's the place I feel at home. That's the place I can get plugged in. That's the place I can be a part of what God is doing and make a real difference. We never want to create a a service or a place that is siloed. We want to create a place where Together, all of us can learn the way of the master and build the kingdom of God. We need to make communities like this that are intercultural and intergenerational because we have so much to learn from each other. A few weeks ago at at our baptism service, uh, we got to see this kind of intergenerational thing happen, right? We had Barbara, who was sharing as an adult woman this, this journey of walking through, looking for a community where she felt safe enough to go through this act of being baptized. She said, after several years, I found this place at ECC. And in the same service, we had the youngest in our group, Moses, who said, you know, I've been struggling with what to say and you know, I realized that I didn't have to understand everything about Jesus or everything about the Bible in order to follow him. We have so much to learn from one another, and we want to create more and more spaces where that kind of intergenerational community can happen as we follow the way of Jesus. We, le- we need to learn from the community that we're inviting in. And an intergenerational Juntos-like service is a beautiful way to do it. So, Where do we go from here? What does God want to do in you and I? How does God want to use all of us to make ECC a safer place for others? What are the questions that you and I have to bring into this conversation? Or the questions that we, with our experience, could help answer? 
Maybe a question you need to consider that God is challenging on today is what statutes and commands do you have experience walking through? Where can you say like, don't go that way. It's not worth it. God's way is good. Or where do you have questions that you need to find someone else to help you answer? Where do you have questions where you need to find someone in this community and say, I don't get it. <laughs> help me to understand why God says this or why the church is like this. It's not just a pathway for the young and teaching's not just for the old. We both have questions we need answers and answers we need to share. And so as we conclude our time today, I want you to ask some of these questions. I want you to ask what kind of legacy as a church we want to be leaving and if we're doing it and what your role is in expanding that legacy to include a Juntos-like experience. And so ask yourself these three questions. What question does God want you to ask someone in this community? What question does God want you to ask someone in this community? Question two, what question does God want you to help answer for someone in this community? And question three, what prompting from God do you need to follow to make this community a safe juntos place, a safe place together with everyone else? And if you're a kid joining us, I just want you to know that you're a part of what God is building. That this isn't just a place for the adults. That your questions and the answers God gives you, they matter as well. We have to do this together, friends, because it's so much more meaningful and it encompasses what God wants to do. We are an intergenerational community. And I can't wait to see how God does it in the days to come. And so as you ask your questions, as we search together for answers, find your team, find your safe place, and make this place safe for everyone else as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the examples in your word. We thank you for the challenges you've given your people and how you've proved yourself faithful on the far side. God, as we press into this vision that you have given this church of creating a community that is broader, that is bigger, that is more challenging, but is more beautiful. I pray you would lead us in wisdom and you'd show us how now to create a place that is safe and how in the future to do it as well. Lead us in the way of Jesus as we live out the greatest commandment to love you and show us how to love others as well. In Christ's name, amen.